time for us to do something. G'day and welcome to Pello Talk. I'm Dave Pello, and joining me today is Peter Madden, somebody that I've worked with uh, in conservative circles in politics in Australia for a little while. And I just want to have a bit of a chat with him, introduce him to you, pick his brain, and I think he's got some good perspectives on politics in Australia and uh, some you will agree with and some you might have some interesting thoughts on. So surely not. Surely let's not. open up that conversation. <laughs> Peter, welcome to Pello Talk. It's great to be with you, David. And may I say, I just thoroughly, uh, you know, love what you do and Thank commend you. what you do because it needs to be done. We yeah. need more voices in the Christian values conservative space who are actually uh, having the discussion and, uh, and you do it very well. There was a lot of commentary around the time this was agitating within me to do uh, from secular, non-Christian commentators right. uh, lamenting the lack of Christian voices in, right. Right. in the modern politics. Lamenting. I'm glad to hear they lament. Yeah, yeah. Which means that you know they want the cut and thrust of the argument, yeah. the back and forth, the debate. So Absolutely. this was uh, you know 2016, 2017, yeah. and and uh, they were secular commentators like Andrew Bolt and Mark Latham saying, yeah. "Hey, there's a culture war going on." However, they are Where conservative, are you? secular, you know, uh, voices. Yeah, yeah. But they're like, "Hey, where's?" Where's the Christians in this fight? Absolutely. We're defending Absolutely. your ground without you here. Absolutely. And, and that is so. And, and that's really on your heart as well, that mm. this is our ground. This is, this is Christian values. Absolutely. And look, one of my main thrusts is if we are a prophetic generation, and whatever you uh, take that term to mean, you know, some people think the prophetic is Nostradamus predicting the future. Some people think the prophetic is telling you nice things about yourself. But ultimately, if we are a, a, a body and we are a people that are looking into the future, concerned about the future, and we see the ramifications of what's happening right now, as you do, as I do, that we are called to be a voice, not to be mm. silent. We ne- we're called to speak out and, and uh, actually make people think about what's going to happen to our legacy, which is our children's children. You know, there's, the scriptures say uh, a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now, I'm a businessman. I'm a, a property developer these days in, in, in Tasmania, and I'll do very well. And uh, I'm leaving money that is, you know, as we all want to do to our children and our children's children. But it doesn't just mean that. It actually means I look down the track and I see the world that's going to be delivered to my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. And if I don't put the fence at the top of the cliff now, I think I'm irresponsible in my duty before God Mm. and before my own family. I want to leave them a legacy that actually says, I stood so that you would inherit the world that I grew up in, mm. a world of solid Christian values, family yep. values, of a world that, that will treat you fairly. Yep. And I think that's our responsibility. It's and a strong word. We need word. to be a voice. Irresponsible yeah. is a strong word. But yep. in the parable about stewardship of the gifts, talents, and opportunities we've been given by our master, yep. uh, Jesus spoke to the the servant who buried what he mm-hmm. had and returned it to mm-hmm. the master with no return yep. on investment. He called him wicked and lazy. Yeah. Uh, and it's cast what, out into outer darkness. And what we're looking for is the good and faithful commendation. Absolutely. To take what he's given us, mm. to invest it, because he deserves the reward of his investment into us. Yeah. yeah. Now, you actually use the word crisis, to a constitutional crisis, yep. to describe the modern 
politi- the contemporary political situation we find ourselves in in 2021. Yeah. What is a constitutional crisis? In what sense of the definition are you when, using? When I word? talk about constitutional crisis, and there's very different, varying views of constitutional crisis, is look, we live in a constitutional democracy. We do not live in a mobocracy. There's a lot of people who would present democracy in the Greek um, fundamental term, which was uh, majority rule. We don't actually live under majority rule. The success of the Western world, the key to our success, has been constitutional democracy. That, yes, we vote, but we have a constitutional foundation of rules. We have the rule of law. And history has shown that Mm. every nation that operates on the rule of law as a foundation excels because we need foundational boundaries. Um, Now, what's happening in our Western world right now is because of the rise of postmodernism, because of the rise of neo-Marxism, and we won't go into the philosophical foundations of that, but look, basically behind what we call the left um, is postmodern neo-Marxism. Now, a couple of things about that is number one, at the root of of postmodernism is the Hegelian dialectic that says, look, there is no ultimate truth. There is no right or wrong. Um, For every thesis, there is an antithesis. So therefore, we've got to find peace and harmony through the synthesis and finding the middle ground. So look, this has affected our modern way of thought. So Um, That goes against a constitutional democracy because the constitution is a bedrock foundation that says they're the rules. Abide by the rules. It's like if if we were playing a game of chess, we can have a great game. We can battle against one another, but we've agreed on the rules. And if we don't follow the rules, well, then it's not a very good game. We actually haven't even agreed on the rules. We've agreed to play by the rules. To play by the rules. The rules are set long before we came to the game. Absolutely. And that's what the constitution is. That's right. So what uh, postmodernism is doing, what what the left is seeking to do is change the rules. Exactly right. Or reinterpret They're trying to give themselves the right to agree on the rules. It's like, well, no, you get to agree with the rules. Absolutely. Or you disagree with the rules. Absolutely. But they are the rules. Absolutely. Mm. So so the constitutional crisis, it's, it's probably more reflected anywhere in the world in the great bastion of Western democracy, which is America at the moment. Now, all the huge upheaval over, over you know, um, uh, the, you can say, accusations of election fraud, that, to me, the jury is still out very much on that. There seems to be a lot of evidence around that. But look, um, Joe Biden's executive order uh, dictatorship, you know. Um, so um, true, yeah. Well, absolutely. is actually reflecting that they do not respect the rules. Um, and even before that, the, to your point, the problem they have with Trump's appointments to the Supreme Court was that he appointed people who respected the Constitution. Exactly. And what they wanted was people who were after mob rule, who thought Absolutely. the Constitution was a living document, yes. that it could be interpreted as to preferred outcomes Absolutely. instead of faithful interpretation Which of the Constitution. Which is the convenience of... of the left. They they actually want to undermine the constitution because the thing mm. that the left hates more than anything else is the Christian foundation of the constitutions of nearly every Western democracy. The success of the Western world is based on it, but and they they can't actually directly change it. So the whole modus operandi mm. is to undermine the constitution. Right. So when I say crisis, uh, are they defying it? You know, are they? Uh, uh, is it not being followed? No, it's being undermined. 
And we're seeing exactly the same thing in Australia. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and you see that with his impeachment. Uh, yep. they're, they're not interested in actual justice. They're mm. not interested in actual evidence. Absolutely. They're not interested in, in context or intent. Yeah. They're only interested in the preferred outcome. Absolutely. Because it's all about power. The number one agenda of the left and of neo-Marxists and postmodernists is power. Mm. And whatever way they've exactly. got to go about getting that power. And, and look, they use identity politics because I, identity, identity um, uh, politics, it, it, it categorises, therefore it marginalises, and that's their way they divide to create power. They want to redefine terms in the Constitution. They have redefined yep. impeachment. Right now, they're redefining impeachment. You cannot impeach somebody who's not a president. You know that, I know that. Anybody with half a brain cell uh, knows that. But they're pushing it, and we're seeing this around the world. It's just like Malcolm Turnbull. He redefined marriage in the 2017 Same-Sex Marriage Act. Now, um, Malcolm Turnbull, uh, in my view, was just a small-l liberal. He represents the infiltration into the last bastion of, of conservative power in Australia. And without going into his journey to power, he successfully used that system and used a party that is actually supposed to be based on Christian values and conservatism and got into power and did more damage than I think any other prime minister in the history of Australia. He's the uh, well regarded as the best prime minister that Labor's ever had. Well, absolutely. And that's a funny way to, to put it, but I, I actually think it's tragic. Um, and what I'm... It is. Very, oh, it is. It's, it's, apt, it's appalling that the right of centre party yep. uh, was the party that featured the first prime minister to protest against the marriage laws and definitions in Australia. Absolutely. It's a travesty. I know it's a travesty. You know it's a travesty. But look, it's been swept under the rug. But the reality is it's now what we're watching globally. And why I call it a crisis? Because a crisis should be responded to. We should respond with action. We should stand up and say enough is enough. And look, you know, I'm a great fan of of Dr. Jordan Peterson um, and he talks about this and the left is very much all about crying about, you know, equality, equality, equality. And really it's it's based in a resentment and a jealousy and and a a, a false concept. We Mm. won't go into their cry for equality, but really our society um, works on a hierarchy of competence. That's what you know gives you success in the field that you've chosen in in media. Uh, if you're not competent, you're not going to get an audience. That's right. Um, it's same in my business with with property development. If I'm not competent, I'm not going to be able to sell houses. Yeah. Um, Etc. Et well, where I, I I see a glaring anomaly in this, we as Christian values conservatives, we actually understand that and we applaud. Competence. We're not those of the tall poppy chopper syndrome that want to cut down the competent and the successful like the left do. However, when it comes to politics, I've got to actually say there's more competence on the left than there has been on the right. Because clearly, yeah. Because look, we've been competent that, that in our be businesses, in, in yeah, in, in in every other way. But it's time we mm. as Christian values conservatives <clears throat> need to rise up, stand up and show our competence by getting involved in the political process. We have been so incompetent at uh, influence in the public square that a Christian values conservative is now pilloried as hard right, far right, 
fundamentalist in a pejorative sense, uh, okay. and the media uh, yeah. think we are the outliers instead yeah. of the mainstream of Absolutely. the right of Stalin political options. Absolutely. And look, and you and I have had um, discussions before about the Greek word ecclesia. The church, you know, and it's translated 114 times in the New Testament as church. It actually does not denote a gathering of people in a building. It denotes a political uh, group that actually had a political um, function, a council mm. within the Greek community. And the interesting thing about that is that we, why Christians were so extremely persecuted in the first century in the book of Acts is because they said, we're standing out from Caesar and from this system mm. and we're following a new king. His name is Jesus. It was and politically defiant for Christians to be baptized with the confession, Jesus Absolutely. is Lord. Absolutely. Because the political dogma of the day, the, the standard line was Caesar is Lord. Absolutely. And to do anything else was seditious. Absolutely. And, and literally what they're accusing Donald Trump of, Exactly. Insurrection. And Absolutely. that's what Christians do by being baptized. And you bring up a very good point because right now, who controls the media? You know, and we could go into the false prophet side of that, but who controls the media? Who controls the woke culture, the, the cancel culture, etc., etc.? We as conservatives are being seditious and saying we will not come under that culture. We will not come mm -hmm. under that, that battle. Now, you know, I was just sharing with you, you know, when I first stood in Sydney and I debated on same-sex marriage and uh, on national television and, uh, and look, I literally received thousands of death threats. And, you know, when I tweeted that I was leaving Sydney to go to Tasmania, you know, they did a three-page spread in Same Same magazine saying Madden leaves Sydney because they hated me because I would not come under that bondage of saying... I'm following your system. We've yeah. got a we've got a psychological political uh, lord trying to take over the Western world. It's a cult. Absolutely, it's a cult. But we, as the church, actually need to say, as the ecclesia, not the church, as in gatherings of Christians, mm -hmm. but the ecclesia, saying we serve a different king, we serve a different spirit, we serve a different attitude. We need 100%. to be a voice. Yeah a voice of hope where there's been despair. And look, there's massive uh, discontent and despair about what's happening in America, about the passing of same-sex marriage by a liberal, small l, mm. uh, a liberal prime minister. Now, I believe it's time that, you know, and what I'm actually actively involved in now is, you know, look, I stood for CDP in Sydney in 2011, Family First in, in 2013, Family First in 2016, um, got very close to getting in the Senate um, uh, because I believed, it, it's an interesting story, I had two leaders of, of two different political parties ask me to join their, you know, if I would stand uh, for their party. And I, I said, I'm a preacher, not a poly. And I had a mindset that I think a lot of Christians carry is that we're more concerned in, concerned in building the kingdom of God then, then, you know, politics, that's a whole different realm. And look, there's many people who've, who've the, had The arguments. problem is that they define, they exclude uh, ministry in the public square as building the kingdom of God. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. There's but, a disconnect. So and that's the, why you do the problem church and state. My, my, yeah. my whole assertion is we should be concerned with building the kingdom Absolutely. of God. And this is part of it. Absolutely. This is absolutely... And that's why you do more the church than that, and state More than that, yeah, it's an absolutely. indispensable part of it yeah. that we have to our shame neglected. Absolutely. And look, it's because Satan has pulled the wool over their eyes. 
Um, as Jesus said, you know, um, Satan has blinded their eyes. The, the effect, and whether, whether you follow the Seven Mountains Doctrine, um, whether you see it as biblical or not, I believe we are to be a voice in every area, in the area of the arts, in the area of the media, in the area of family, in the area of governance, in the, in, in the area of business, mm. in the marketplace, that we, we are not to be cloist, uh, cloistered away in our little churches. We if anybody was to get hung up on the potential implications of naming the doctrine Seven Mountains or, or naming any areas of influence, I, I think it might help to bring everybody into agreement just to say, what area do you think Jesus didn't want us to be salt and light? <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. Because that isn't limited to Sunday services between four walls. Yep, absolutely. It's actually to to infiltrate every area and level of culture and to bring that into uh, alignment and agreement with the will of God, which is for the benefit, blessing, prosperity and peace of every single one of our neighbours. It's not about pursuit of power for ourselves. Absolutely. It's about pursuit of peace for those we love. Just like the Good Samaritan, it's a a non-self-absorbing, generous concern for people when it's inconvenient, when it's not our calling, when it's out of our way, mm. an investment of our time, effort, resources, and long-term interest in the welfare of people who may regard us as enemies, complete strangers. Absolutely. Uh, that's the kingdom of God. And so call it seven mountains or just call it salt and light. Yeah. Um, it's it's a mandate for every believer. It is. And what, wherever there's what an opportunity. salt and light uh, follows in Matthew chapter 5 on the eighth um, beatitude, um, he said, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. Yes. And they say all manner of evil against you. Falsely. For my, falsely for my sake. Mm. For so persecuted they the prophets of old. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savour, it is worth nothing to be thrown out and trodden underfoot. Now, if that's not a description of our day right now in our constitutional crisis yep. right now, I don't know what it is. And look, what I look, I think Trump was a fantastic president, probably mm. the best tra- uh, president that, that modern times have seen in America. But what this has brought about is persecution. And yep. I, my hope is that it wakes Christians up to their civic responsibility, to their biblical responsibility to now actually start having savour and not allowing themselves to be trodden underfoot because that's where most conservatives are right now. That's yep. what the Democrats are trying to do uh, in a major way in America now. But it's the same in I've Australia. I've got a question for you yep. about what do we do next, but let's uh, get on to that right after we take a quick break. Sure, absolutely. We'll be right back. We're often told that Australia started with convicts as a secular nation, and that's the way we've always been. What should you do when your Christian beliefs and your Christian duties are made illegal acts? We have a right to participate in society. Uh, we have a right to pre- and an obligation to present our Christian point of view. Uh, it's really important uh, that we as faith people, as Christians, uh, continue to advocate Uh, for issues in the public space. Many people are convinced that Christianity is simply not true, that faith is lazy, anti-intellectual thinking, that Christianity is a delusion. And I want to tackle that head on. What do we do when our church and even the denomination that we're in slides into apostasy? How should a Christian think about critical race theory? I mean, what is critical race theory? Did you know that many post-abortive women and men regret their abortions? 
Our nation's kids are not okay. Almost half of our children under age 13 are experiencing some form of family fragmentation. Author Roy Williams has written that as a Christian, he's sick of the Christian influence in Australia being referred to as either minimal or malign. History tells us that this is not the case. Because we contribute to human flourishing better than any other system of values. You know, the Christians in Victoria are facing this very dilemma right now. And in my political work, I'm seeing signs that this is just Many other people think that far from just being an irrelevant delusion, that in fact religion and Christianity in particular is harmful to society, that its ideas are repressive, outdated and damaging to people's lives. I'll be joined by a host of incredible speakers who are going to be dealing with all sorts of practical topics about being a Christian in 21st century Australia. I want to unpack and analyse critical race theory through a Christian biblical worldview. These photos are shocking and raw and real, and they're reaching people around the world on both sides of the fence. So what would it look like if we approach these policies that impact marriage, parenthood, even reproductive technologies through the eyes of a child? What would change? And what are other countries doing in this area? We must protect the family unit and support families, support Australians who want to start a family. But the role of defending our children does not simply lie with our legislators. I would like to share with you my amazing journey of following God when it doesn't make sense. I went from missionary to newborn photographer to the founder of two photography ministries that would go on to reach millions of people around the world. It is the job of ordinary people, courageous types, uh, with a fortitude and the, and the willingness to voice unpopular opinions at times. And they can bring about changes that our future generations desperately need. Many Christians feel voiceless at the moment, unaware of how to respond to these challenges and have meaningful God conversations, feeling pushed out of the public square. What can we learn from those who've experienced this in the past? What is the best way to respond? And why does getting this right actually make a difference uh, in the wider aims of what we're trying to do to make Christ known uh, to our entire nation that we love? I can't wait to get into these questions. So don't miss this opportunity either in person or online to join me and the amazing other speakers at this unique Australian summit. Join me either in person or online. So I'd love it if you joined me and everyone else for the conference, Church and State. The Church and State Summit. The Church and State Summit. At the Church and State Summit in February. Welcome back to Pello Talk. I'm sitting down with Peter Madden and we're talking about the constitutional crisis in the Western world, Australia in particular, the uh, wreckage of uh, Malcolm Turnbull to what should be a Liberal Party set of values, etc. Peter, what's the solution to what people like Malcolm Turnbull have done to the Liberal Party? Well, the, the first thing is to, to rise up out of the fug of hopelessness. The, the, um, it, it, it was very disconcerting for so many people. They felt we lost the battle on same-sex marriage. Now, when you recognise what, in actual fact, is the agenda behind this, and the agenda behind this is to redefine the Constitution. Dan Andrews' passing of this abomination of the homosexual conversion bill is only been allowed because Malcolm Turnbull was able to redefine um, say, you know, what marriage actually means. Now, by the way, 
um, it is totally unconstitutional. I've got friends who actually studied law um, and left-wing lecturers got up and said, look, really what Malcolm Turnbull's Same-Sex Marriage Act did mm. was unconstitutional. And because of, yeah. um, you know, because it was based on a postal survey, um, one day this will be challenged. And I have no doubt that one day I this will be I actually did challenged. an interview with uh, Professor Augusto Zimmerman in oh, 2018. Yeah. And we were discussing the unconstitutionality of, of the legislation yep. which undefined marriage because it, it presumed to work with a definition that nobody shared when our constitution was written. Yep. Uh, and, and so it's, it's untenable to claim that that legislation had any foundation in any permission yep. in Absolutely. the constitution. And so if that's what the culture wants to do, then they need to go to a referendum and Absolutely. change the constitution, yeah. and not do just it legislation. Do it constitutionally. And th yeah. that's my very point. And look, um, Turnbull's damage. On, look, there was two primary things that he did. In 2016, he changed the rules on uh, the Senate reform legislation. A lot of people don't actually realise this, but look, I stood for minor parties, CDP, then Family First. Mm. I don't stand for minor parties anymore because the day of minor parties is over. And if that disappoints some of your viewers, I'm, I'm sorry, but I spent a lot of money in a class action suit and I took Malcolm Turnbull's government to the High Court with Senator Bob Day. He was the plaintiff action. I led the class action that challenged that Senate reform legislation. The reason I did it, because what Turnbull did in doing a deal with the Greens, because he is of the same ideological bent. Of course. Um, absolutely. So they did a deal together to consolidate as evidenced, power. Absolutely. As evidenced by their agreement on this. Absolutely. So they, they got together and they pushed through uh, this legislation that actually consolidates power to Liberal, Labor and the Greens. To the elites, and as Trump uh, coined it so brilliantly, the swamp. We have our mm. own Australian swamp. We have elites that feel that they're above everybody else and they it's their right to rule the nation. Mm. Not only do we have them on the left, the far left with the Greens, the left with the Labor Party, which is nothing like the Labor Party my great-grandfather helped to form back in the 1930s, um, because you know he was a Christian values man who uh, would be absolutely shocked about what what's happened to the Labor Party now, and the Liberal Party, and those who would seek to infiltrate the Liberal Party, like Mal Malcolm Turnbull. Now, what that's actually done is it's ended the uh, conservative minor party voice. Once Jackie Lambie is gone and Pauline Hanson is gone, and hence with her Malcolm Roberts, once they're gone, they already have a built following that will maintain them. But a lot of Australians and a lot of Christian, uh, concerned Christians don't actually realise that we're not going to have that voice of accountability. Mm. So look, the thing that needs to be done is they are our last platform to really be the prophetic voice that we're called to be as Christians is the Liberal Party. Now, we can make a difference by actually going and joining a branch, forming a branch, being part of the pre-selection process that pre-selects Christian values, conservative senators and local members. But, you know, it's this disconnect that we have in the church. And I applaud the church and state conference, you know, conference or summit that you're doing. It's because it's trying to break this mindset is church and state are separate. They're only separate for, from the fact that our constitution guarantees that the state cannot 
overrule and run the church, suppress the church, the, the not the other that, way around. The phrase that helps people understand, because yeah. church and state should be separate. Like, I don't want my denomination to be the government. Totally. Um, and I don't want the government to be my denomination. So I'm totally comfortable with yep. that separation. Where people are profoundly wrong is when they think that translates to a separation between religion or faith and politics. Yep. Whoa, now we're completely well, wrong. And th- this is where religion the blinding speaks, has happened. Religion speaks exclusively to public policy. Absolutely. I mean, forgive me, it speaks to two things. Public policy, the way we should be treating each yep. other and our relationship with God. Yep. Now, not after any kind of regulation of your relationship with God. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> not, not in the least. But I am after regulation of the way you treat me. Yep. I want you to be honest in business. Yep. I want you to not kill my family. Absolutely. I want you to respect my private property. Absolutely. So, absolutely, religion speaks to public policy. It does. And look, I'm a warrior by nature. I've always been a warrior. If I see the bully uh, bullying, you know, some old people or some little kid, you know, I'm going to be the guy that jumps in. I'm not a, I'm not a physical fighter, but I'm mm. the guy who will step up for the bully. If I see a con man trying to con some innocent folk out of their money, I'm going to go to them and say, listen, that guy's mm. a con. And so I feel that that is my duty, both as a human being, but also very much as a Christian. But not everybody I understand are warriors. But what I will say as a church, we are called biblically to be defenders of the weak, to represent and take care of the widow and the orphan. Mm. And look, I'll look straight down the barrel of this camera and saying it is a lie that you as a Christian are not to be involved in politics. Because if you don't stand, who's going to say, your children or your grandchildren, one day are going to have to stand. Now we've got this concept that we are meant to be the hospital at the bottom of the cliff. And yes, we are. And there are many mercy oriented people Mm. who are the best people at running that hospital. They pick up the broken people from the broken families, from from the the damage that has been done by life at the bottom of the cliff. And that's a major part of our church work. That's why 95% of of all charity work and, and the work amongst the community uh, is done by the church in the private sector. Yeah. Now, that is a very important part of Christianity, but don't let that negate the warrior aspect of the It's the not Christian either church. or. Well, well, look, if you are mercy-oriented, you're not going to rise up to be a strong voice. Um, but there is a prophetic element to the church that is called to be the voice of the church. Look, then we could go into fivefold ministry and how that works, but I won't go into that yeah. um, here and now, except but, to but say... But it's not either or. The, even those it's people not either who or. Are, those I people agree. who are, are called to um, be the, let's say, the mercy, compassion, healing people at the bottom of the cliff, yep. to, to use your metaphor, there's nothing stopping them supporting the construction of fences at the top of the cliff. Supporting it, absolutely. But I'm a fence builder. Yeah. I've always been a fence at the top of the cliff guy. I wouldn't advocate that everybody needs to become a politician. Yeah, um, But everybody should. Uh, I mean, if, if you're, whatever profession you're in, uh, it doesn't stop you being in a union. Yep. And, I mean, a discussion about the usefulness of unions to the oh, side, Let, let's assume yeah, sure. they're a good that's never abused, big assumption, um, then you know it would be good to be in the union. But that's not your profession. That's not your calling. But when it comes time to action to prevent injustice yep. and oppression, now's your time to, to rise up to do that without setting aside your profession. Same 
for those Christians who are, uh, you know, tradesmen or parents full time or, yeah. or educators or, I, I or professionals. I agree. Do what you do. But when it comes time to election time, there's a lot more to do than just having a vote. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's the, the awareness that we've got to bring. And often it doesn't come until a crisis happens. So until for those there people, is persecution. And that's why I quoted Jesus saying, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Yep. It actually wakes up the people. It actually causes them to think, wait on, I'm being trodden underfoot. Yep. Yeah. So for those people who aren't warriors, um, yep. who aren't fence builders, yep. um, who, who are where they should be, preoccupied with their occupation, yep. uh, it seems intimidating, daunting, and certainly completely foreign mm. to be told you should join a political party, like that's for some kind of elite group of political mm. nerds. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. Talk to me about what it looks like. What's the ask for everybody? The to... ask is very simple. In actual fact, become part of the process of building numbers to support the pre-selection of Christian values conservatives. And you can do that just by joining a, a, a branch. Um, you don't even have to go to all the branch meetings. You don't have to become overawed with the process. You need to become an active member, therefore an active vote, therefore an active voice. Yep. It's actually not a big ask. Mm. So just to um, clarify, it's really important that you do not let anybody uh, take control of your voice. When you join a party, it can be tempting to be lazy and let other people tell you how to vote. Uh, that's called branch stacking. It's Absolutely. terrible. It's unethical. You never let anybody pay for your membership. You never let anybody take your proxy vote. Uh, you always attend the important votes, um, but they're once or twice a year. And look, this is essential. One of my major scriptural modus operandi is you know, uh, 1 John 1, 7, which says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And anything done in the darkness, that is the realm of the enemy. So we've got to be people of openness and honesty. You take Malcolm Turnbull, the way he actually got Peter King's seat in Wentworth back in the day, he's, he did the largest branch stack in Australia's history. So the very origins of his political career with the Liberal Party was done through deception. It was done through a branch stack. And I absolutely had nothing to do with branch stacking. And what we're talking about is not branch stacking. It's actually about the active engagement of thinking men and women who have Christian values to say enough is enough. Just playing We've by the rules. Absolutely. And, but but it's, that, it's that passion is if you're not actively involved in independent thought, well then, you know, all you're doing is, 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 is actually lending yourself to a concept. Mm. We've actually got to become passionate about what we do. I do want to make this, uh, I do want to demystify and break this down for people. Uh, when I joined the political party for the first time many years ago, yep. um, I didn't know what to expect. I thought it might be a whole bunch of hyper-intellectuals, far smarter than me, um, having really deep political policy debates. Yep. And I was surprised how genuinely boring it often was. Oh. It was like a knitting circle sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So don't be intimidated by it. In, in fact, make sure you take your family along. Make sure your husband, your wife, your, your voting age kids uh, and like-minded neighbours go along because half a dozen votes could be all the difference Tip the scars. between getting a total uh, Muppet um, pre-selected to represent your party or a 
a competent person with conviction and courage to stand up for Christian values. Where are values. the conviction politicians in the in the Liberal Party in Victoria who would stand against the, the homosexual, you know, um, conversion bill? Where are they? Right. Where are the Joe Bielku Petersons? We we the we haven't got them because we're not getting involved and As saying the, there's a man I can believe in. There's a woman who's a conviction politician. Yep. The yeah. answer to to that question is it's my fault. Yeah. It's your fault. It is. It's our fault. And that's that's what I'm actually saying. Is, because when those yeah. people stand up and they appear, they need an army of members behind them to yeah. pre-select them, to campaign for them, to donate to them, and to say, never mind the mainstream media. Never mind the progressives in the party. We've got your back. We yeah. won't... Even when you're elected, we've got your back. But we'll also become the thing you fear if you start caving yes, exactly. and compromising. Accountability. We become the accountability factor. But you know, even beyond So we're not that, doing identity politics. We're not electing people who just look like us. Absolutely. We're electing people who will fight for the things that we believe need fighting for. Absolutely. And if you stop, you're fired. That's right. It's, it's a fight back. But let me say with that also, and this is the exciting thing about it, I, I've only just joined the Liberal Party and was accepted because, look, I'm a bit of a hot potato, and I know I am. I've been very vocal on a lot of issues, but we need vocal people um, to step out. Mm. But and as you say, I went along to see the culture of the, the meetings, but what I found there is, uh, I found in some instances, I won't say this in all instances, um, there was a stale culture of older political intellectuals and sometimes it was very boring. We can actually create the culture. Yeah. We can actually bring our Christian culture. We can pray. We can actually quote the scripture in that context. We can actually wow. have fellowship with other Christians and say, look, yeah, we're, we might be from different churches, different denominations, but we've got a consensus here. We are, we are, we've got Christian values and we know that they're at the foundation of nature and we can create the culture. Mm. Because don't be intimidated that there is a culture in the Liberal Party that you how somehow have to submit to. Bring your culture with you. So that, Bring your passion with you. Bring your beliefs with you. Bring who you are to the table. Let me ask you a question that you may have just answered, but yeah, sure. you may want to enlarge on with this question, is should people join the Liberal Party because they think it represents them, or should they be joining the Liberal Party despite it not really being a perfect representation of their values and standards? They should join to actually change, be an agent of change. The, the, there is, the reality is this, the, the left wing that is far more active and far more capable in the political realm than the right wing have not only uh, gained great power through the Greens, have taken over the Labour Party, they are also white-anting and undermining the last bastion of Christian values conservatism, which is the Liberal Party. So the only way that's going to change, because the lefties are coming in, mm. and they, they want to take over the whole gamut, and the only way we're going to stop that happening is by building the numbers. It's a numbers game. You take Tasmania. In Tasmania, we've got a half a million people, yet we've got 12 senators who represented us, uh, who represent us um, in, the, in the Senate in Australia. Now, compared to New South Wales or Queensland or, 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 or uh, Victoria, the small um, addition of numbers in the pre-selection 
process can make a huge difference. True. But I'm not just saying for Tasmania. This should be Australia-wide. We've got to... I'm, I'm focused on Tasmania. But Australia-wide, we've actually got to... You hide the scar well. <laughs> Thank you. Well, <laughs> I'm a Tasmanian by choice. <laughs> well, there you go. Not by birth. <laughs> I, was, I actually grew up just outside of Sydney. You may get but, in more trouble for that comment than I will for mine. <laughs> no, I, I say to people, look, parochial Tasmanians are saying, oh, you're a mainlander. I, I say I'm a Tasmanian by choice. I choose to, to live in the state because I love this state. Great. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, Good and people I choose think to live there. It was your comment that might uh, cause... Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's good-hearted rivalry. Yeah, yeah. That, that's right. And, and this uh, probably speaks to one of the constitutional crises is the move towards uh, conglomeration... Uh, homogenization away from state powers to federal powers yeah uh, and and that's a terrible thing Tasmania deserves 12 senators like Absolutely. every other state because yeah. it's an independent colony state uh, and we're collaborating it should be looking after Tasmanians Absolutely. interests Absolutely. with equal state say to all the other states that's the way our founding fathers set up the system and if I don't broke does fix it wisely Absolutely. You probably know that our constitution is one of the 10 oldest still functioning uh, constitutions yeah. in the world. Yeah. So you, you take Turnbull's damage, and I, I talk about it specifically in the two, the, the, the act in 2016, it changed the Senate reform legislation, then, then the redefining of marriage, which is, you know, it, it only dawned on me what Fifty Shades of Grey actually meant as a title a few years ago. That between white and black, there are 50 shades of grey. You start off with just a little bit of grey, and then it's an easy step to the next set of mm -hmm. stage of grey until you find yourself so close to black. Well, Turnbull started the 50 shades of grey in the undermining of our constitution and the democracy that was handed to us by their founding fathers. But, you know, I talk about Turnbull starting off in the, in the greatest branch stack, starting off with deception. The very fact is he led the move to abolish our constitutional demo, demo, uh, uh, sorry, our, our constitutional democracy mm -hmm. in trying to go against um, uh, the monarchy and the very established system that was set up. So he's always been a Republican at heart. He's always, and, and in my view, he entered through deception. In my view, he's actually um, quite opposed to our consti Christian constitutional uh, foundation. Yet we allowed him into the Liberal Party, into the bastion of Christian values, conservatism, and, and more fool us. And as you say, it's your fault. And it's this my is, fault. This is it's to your our point. fault. Absolutely. This is to your point. It was the pre-selectors of that party, yep. including those people and the ability to pervert the, the normal pre-selection processes, yep. it was those pre-selectors and then those who kept returning him to office who allowed somebody who was so illiberal Absolutely. So anti-Menzian yep. to, to stay in the wrong party. That's what happens. And, and what we need to have as conservatives is the courage to fire incumbent politicians yep. when they fail to represent us adequately. Absolutely. Absolutely. But let me look into the camera again and say it's your job and it's my job. It's our job. Look, I believe that the constitutional democracy is, our, is, is a gift from God. 
It is, it is our gift as the Western world. What has made the Western world great? Our constitution based on biblical principles. And it's recognised that our constitution based in the English system was based on Christian Absolutely. principles. It is a gift to us. We are squandering our gift. We are squandering our gift by allowing them to re, uh, reinterpret, to redefine our constitution and that's the issue we're allowing them to infiltrate the system of fair play by allowing liberals small l liberals mm. to to actually take power through what's supposed to be constitution and that's why we need to become active so things are pretty bleak things are pretty desire uh, dire <laughs> desire the western world is under a prolonged sustained and old attack from the militant left with a, a, a war of attrition and patience that has spanned decades, uh, is it too late? Has it gone too far? Is there a road back? Next fact, it hasn't gone as far in Australia as it has gone in America and other parts of the world. True. We're in a pretty good place. We've got a Christian prime minister. Um, the, the dam is being held back in Australia currently, and that's a fantastic thing. But mark my words, what happens in America will happen here. And we, we, uh, we should not be lulled into a place of complacency. The damage that's been done in Australia is not to the extent of other nations. It can be reversed. But it can, there, look, there's hope. Dictator as, Den's doing his best. Well, he is. And he, he's actually launching off the, the beginning of the undermining and deconstruction of the Constitution. Mm. So, um, look, there's a lot of activists on Facebook, on, on YouTube, on Twitter, etc., etc. But and, and it's great to get the message out. But the real hope, and there is hope to turn this around, the real hope is when when the going gets tough, the tough get going. The thing that's got real teeth, I, I look, I've done a lot of things in my life, but I'm only interested in my older, latter years in what's got teeth. Joining the Liberal Party mm. has got teeth. And I'm sorry, joining a minor party doesn't have teeth. It's not going to get there. Joining the party and actually letting your vote be heard, we can turn around the damage that has been done. And look, I know you're. I know Sorry. you used to be a believer in minor parties, and and yeah, and I was as well. You you were a candidate for Family First. I was yep. on the executive for Family First in the state, and mm. and helped with campaigns around mm. other states. Um, and I believed in it. Yep. I, I think it, it was it was a really really great strategy. Three million people voted for minor parties in 2016. Three million. I actually started a movement called Three Million Voices because what actually happened under that legislation is that if people don't fill out all underneath the line, their voice, their voice just gets lost. Hmm. So three million voices. And to this day, people who vote for minor parties, their vote is not even significant if they only vote above the line for that minor party. And yeah. that's the danger here is with one... Um, swift, you know, deft move, mm. the Greens and Malcolm Turnbull nullified millions of votes. Yeah. And that's... You're talking the about government. the federal election voting above yeah, the sorry. line. Federal election voting above the line. In the Senate and ballot, yeah. Where, whereas the minor parties have become the voice of accountability and often held the balance of power that day is over. Now, let me say what I do think is really, really important. Yep. Um, I guess this is my take, and, and feel free to disagree. Um, but I 
you know, if somebody wants to work in a minor party, be a candidate for a minor party, I think more power to you. I agree with you. I don't think that's the best use of energy. Yep. Um, but, you know, Jesus said, if they're not against us, yep. you yep. know, leave I'm, them alone. I'm not going to criticize you. Yeah. As a voter, yep. um, membership in a minor party is all but useless. It's far better to... Uh, become a member of a major party with a major chance yep. of government and representation and make sure that that culture is preserved and flavoured uh, and, and illuminated and revealed in the way that we should be salt and light because that's more likely to impact government in the long term. However, when it comes to election day and filling out your ballot, I don't think you should give a minor party or a major party unconditional loyalty. I think you should compare every candidate absolutely on their merits and rank them accordingly which may mean we are voting for minor parties first second and third before a major party candidate uh, and that's going to punish the major parties they're going to lose election funding if you're a political thinker and are prepared to fill in blood you have to absolutely. be absolutely you have but, to but, be look I, don't don't make it out of reach it, it's not elite to compare your candidates it, it should be I'm pedestrian. not making it out of reach, but the reality is that the majority of the Australian voters don't do that. They, well, they don't spend the and, time... And this is it. my encouragement to yeah. people, is change. This isn't out of reach. I agree. It's real easy to become a political thinker if that means contact each of your candidates and ask them about the one issue that you think is probably breaking the heart of God more than anything else. I don't need to tell you how to vote. I don't need to tell you what that issue is. Yep. I can tell you what it is for me. Yep. But it's going to be those critical justice issues that are most oppressing uh, the the poor, the vulnerable. Uh, and and that is that heart of compassion that moved Jesus. Yep. It's, it's not going to be hugging trees. It's not going to be banning coal. It's it's not going to be. It's going to be things that affect human lives yep. in a real, tangible, and and immense way on a large scale that affects. I'm with you, though. You know, tens and hundreds of thousands of people, and I can't even remember where I was going. It's it's, it's you can't just follow somebody else's how to vote cut. I think that's wicked, lazy servant. I well, think we have to again, rise above. Again, Dave, I'm a I'm a pragmatist. Because idealistically, I'm a hundred percent. I'm not you. under the illusion that lots of. I'm not under the illusion that the majority of Australians are going to do this because I say so. Yeah. I am under the belief and conviction that everybody hearing my words now can do this. I agree. I don't think it's any more complicated than researching a new fridge or car. Mm-hmm. You, you at least put that much effort into it. I. If, I 100% concur with you, Dave. But I. But also, you're right. We're not going to get everybody on board. <laughs> pragmatist. But, you know, look, we, are, we have the potential to ride a wave of Christian conservative, uh, yeah. Christian values conservatism because we have an excellent prime minister. We've got ScoMo at the helm is doing an excellent job. He's done an excellent job with the economy. He's done an excellent job with, with COVID. And that's a whole controversial issue that we won't go into but he look and he's got the support of the australian people now while we've got a christian values conservative brave of you to not be wearing your mask by the way thank you thank you very (laughs) much um is is look now is the time to consolidate now is the time to put in other christian conservative values uh conservative christian values conservatives into 
the, into being candidates who will support that. Because I, I think Australia in, in coming years is going to be astonished at what SCOMO and Christian values conservatives can achieve yep. and turning around the damage that has been done if we will get in now on time to support. You know, yep. the pragmatism that you're espousing is wise because you're right that while I'm not wrong and that everybody can choose their own candidates with a minor amount of research, you're right that most people won't, yes. despite the opportunity. And therefore, the pragmatic thing to do is to make sure that the major party candidates that they're likely to vote for are the best quality possible exactly. by participating in the major parties Absolutely. while still preferring other candidates. Absolutely. And because we need leaders. Absolutely. We, we need leaders who, look, we've got a lot of namby-pambies. We've got a lot of professional politicians. We've got a lot of people who are, have got personal agendas. Now, look, I remember the day when, when, when I was really convicted, when I was reading the, the lists of the works of the flesh, and we all know adultery, uncleanness, lewdness, lasciviousness, drunkenness, sorcery, but right in the middle of that is selfish ambition. And how often have we seen people with selfish ambition mm. stand to represent us only to fall like a packet, a house of cards, you know, because they were there for their own ambition and not for the conviction of their beliefs. We need to yep. see conviction men and women rise. And the, the, the weakness of democracy is that it rewards people with selfish ambition. It does. Unfortunately. And, and so we need to understand the way that market works, the political free market. Yep. And we need to supply the currency, the the currency of votes and political support to those people who are selfless yes. and ambitionless. Absolutely. And team players and true. Look, this becomes Christian a deep theological, philosophical argument about ambitionless. You've actually got to have some healthy ambition. Fair. But but ambition for the kingdom of God. Ambition for to, the nation, to, for the to, to, to establish the fence. Ambition to show leadership. Because, look, leaders, God gives us leaders for a reason. Mm. And they have got to have the ambition to lead, not for themselves, but for the sake of others. Absolutely. Very good. I love your insights. Thank you very much for sharing and spending so much time with me on Pello Talk today. Thank you. You're Let's first, go for gold. You're the first to be one-on-one -on -one with me in the new studio. Well, no, it's, it's an honour and a privilege. Thank you, David. We'll see you next time. If uh, you would like more conversations like this, let me encourage you. There are four years of the Church and State Conference that you can get the videos for. This year's conference is only $20. Uh, the full price to get in the door was 100 So that's a huge saving on a great lineup of conservative and Christian uh, speakers articulating how you can better get involved in, uh, in fighting for the soul of our nation. But all of the previous years are actually half price. There are only $10. So a, a great opportunity to get a great lineup of many, many good videos that will uh, add to conversations like this. They're evergreen topics. They never get old. Uh, and you'll get all of that uh, from the website, goodsource.news. And just click on the link to merch. Uh, that's goodsource.news. Uh, and we'll see you in the next episode of Hello Talk. Goodbye. It's time for us to do something. Na, na, na.